Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Don't you just love it when it's that cold outside? Because you know, when you get outside, you know you're awake. You're like, whoa, my word. Yeah, I love that, that uh, podcast, Chasing Schools. It's a little acorny, but um, sorry. I just couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. It's so good to be with you. I tell you what, I get to travel around all of Minnesota, different parts of the country at times as well. And that is, it is such a great feel at this church. You guys have such a great team leading in the feel and worship. I, I don't know how you couldn't clap to that first song. I was, I was like, man, that just is fun, isn't it? Fun to go to a church that you just you, you can just sense that God's doing things in a part. And you have a great Pastor Mike and Trinette. And I love the new youth pastors. Let's go. Um, we've been traveling. Me and uh, Mike have been traveling this weekend around the state. Anybody know where Casson is? Anybody don't know where Casson is? You guys know where Rozo is? It's nowhere near there. So Casson is down by Rochester. We were in Rochester Friday night. We were in Mankato yesterday morning. We were here last night. Tonight we're going to be in Hibbing. And uh, we are just traveling around the state. And what we're doing is we're talking missions with teenagers. And uh, we get a chance to be here. I get, a, I get the privilege. We, you know, how many know we hear negative about, what, about this next generation every once in a while? Right? <laughs> we don't hear much positive. But I get a chance to be around teenagers a ton. If, you, if you've ever sent your t- kids to camp in the summer... Or to youth convention, they've had a good time. I'm the person that is in charge of that. If they didn't like it, I'll, I'm not the person uh, to talk to. There's somebody else. But uh, I run those events uh, when they go to camp or they go to youth convention. I, I oversee 250 churches across the state, uh, just all the youth programs and, and kind of that kind of stuff. And so it's just so fun to be here. But one of the things we're doing talking missions is I want to just kind of give you an idea of what students are doing across the state of Minnesota. Um, when it comes to missions, uh, no state has ever given over a million dollars from their teenagers um, in the history of the Assemblies of God. I don't probably not any denomination, um, but a few years ago, Minnesota students gave one million and four thousand dollars. That's a few years ago. Then the next year they went to one point one. Then they went to one point four. They went to one point six. They went to one point eight. Last year, we dropped down to 1.695. Can you believe it? But this year, and they're still counting because what the, the, all the, the had to be postmarked by the 31st and get sent to the national office. And so they're, Monday morning, they're probably going to finish opening all the mail and inter, inserting or putting into the computer system and all that kind of stuff. But as of, I just wanted, as of, um, as of Friday afternoon, Minnesota students have given just you might want to just like hold your seat here, like $2.779 million. <laughs> You're not that excited about it. I am, because here's what Speed the Light does. A lot of you don't have any idea what Speed the Light is. In the Summers of God, the way it works is, a lot of, like they talked about, you guys are, are, are you know, kind of supporting, I think it was 25 missionaries overseas and some things locally and some different things and what you're doing through your stuff. And I can't believe $179,000. Come on. That's incredible what's, what's happening here. And so what happens is you guys pick up missionaries, you do some of those things. What students, here's the way it's set up, is when that missionary gets to the field, if, if, the, if they didn't have the, what the youth groups do, they wouldn't get a vehicle when they got there. So they would, get, they would get there, and they would sit in their apartment or sit in their house. They'd take a train somewhere. They'd walk somewhere. 
The way it's set up is the only way they get to do what they do is if teenagers come alongside and buy their vehicle, buy their sound system, buy their equipment that they need to be able to get out and, and tell people about Jesus. To get to the places in the world that the only way to get there is to hike miles and miles and miles and miles up into the mountains or get on a motorcycle. I mean, the, the only way to do some of the stuff is, so that's the way it's set up in the Assemblies of God. Along with that, um, so we buy their vehicles, we buy their sound equipment, we buy their video projectors, we buy all that kind of stuff for them once they get there so they have the tools that they can do to, to, to you know, fulfill what they're doing. In addition, we do a ton of stuff with like water well projects. I was just took my family to Africa in September and uh, we, they do a ton with water well stuff there um, where we go into places like where they're walking 13 miles one way to get water because there's no water anywhere. And so then they, so we're putting wells in villages and thousands. I can tell stories of, of how God's using that and how people are coming to Christ just because they, we're meeting a physical need. And then we're telling them about Jesus and every well we put in is next to a church or a church plant in these areas. And a lot of these areas are, are major Muslim areas where their church isn't wanted, but now we're meeting a need and it's opening the door. It's incredible. We're doing a lot of stuff with human trafficking. Um, we're doing stuff with human trafficking overseas. One of the spots we work with in, on the Nepal-India border, we rescued a, a thousand little girls and boys before they got trafficked. They were on their way across the border and we rescued them before. So we, had a, we put up border patrol stations. We do st stuff like that around the border. But then we also go into places like in the brothels in India, rescue girls. We do a lot of stuff stateside. I don't know if you knew this, but Minnesota, and a lot of times when the, when the things come out, Minnesota's number two in human trafficking in the country. Number two. And uh, they say at Mall of America, there's a, a, a full-time force at Mall of America whenever the doors are open that's there watching for human trafficking. They say 100 girls under the age, the FBI says 100 girls under the age of, uh, under the age of 18 are trafficked in Minnesota every month. And so you don't realize all this stuff. And so we do a ton. We're buying a vehicle so we can get a mobile unit and go to different spots around the, the Midwest and try to rescue. Just in New Orleans last weekend, we, there was uh, 18 girls and women rescued out of human trafficking uh, we went in and, and so we do lots of like with that type of rescue stuff we do lots of stuff with like convoy of hope with disaster relief do a lot of stuff with going in with project 42 which is going to the 42 percent of the world can you believe 42 percent of the world's never heard of jesus 42 percent has no idea who jesus is and so we're going into countries where they can't just go as a missionary they're not allowed to go or parts of countries and so we're going in with businesses and going in and setting up shop and trying to do some things and it's amazing the stories we're hearing of people coming to jesus in some of these places it is it is literally crazy and so we're just doing a ton of stuff like that um and that's where your money's going as your students raise money as you kind of come alongside 2.7 so it's going to be over 2.8 million when, they're, when they give us the number on Monday morning or Monday afternoon. And uh, that's from the students. So don't, now when you hear, think about what students and who your students are, they're a part of something that's literally changing the world. Because they say this, every dollar that comes into missions represents one person that comes to Jesus. That means from the students in Minnesota, 2.779 right now, million people have come to know Jesus. Um, when they do all the stats and metrics, they say that's about what happens per dollar that comes in. So, man, I get a chance to do that and, and be a part of that. And so, but I'm not here to speak. I'm, you're like, thank goodness. This guy's terrible. Um, but I brought somebody with me that is a better speaker, better looking, but he's not as funny. And uh, so that's the one thing I have on him. And uh, would, you, would you welcome Mike as he comes? He's, he speaks all over the country, all over the world, and he's here with you this morning. It's, uh, it's great to be speaking in Minnesota. This last year, I got the honor to preach in 30 different states across the United States of America. 
And uh, it's funny, whenever, you know, I'm in Texas or I'm in Florida, Georgia, different states in the South, and they go, and we have a guest speaker with us today, and he's from Minnesota. Whenever they say the word Minnesota, the rest of the country, they just go, oh, okay, all right. Oh, yeah, why would he ever live there? Because here's the deal, y'all. They think that people in Minnesota, they live in igloos all year round, and they think their dads hunt with spears, okay? That's what they think of us. But I just got to say, living in Minnesota is the best state to live ever. Like, it just is. Here's an example. Last night at the Saturday night service, there's a young adult man wearing shorts to church at 28 degrees. You want to know why? Because 28 degrees feels like 80. Okay, it feels amazing in Minnesota. (laughs) So, no, it's so fun. A ton of fun. Hey, can we give it up and can we honor Pastor Mike and Turnette and their leadership here? You guys are blessed with amazing pastors, amazing leaders. If it's your first time visiting, I just want to say welcome to your new home. No need to visit anywhere else. This place is awesome. And so, Pastor Mike and Trinette, thank you so much for loving and serving Cloquet. It's incredible. Uh, Brought a picture of my little baby girl. This is a picture of my little baby, Everly. And my wife, she's a worship pastor. And uh, she goes, Mike, I got to get to church to, to do rehearsal. Can you please dress our baby this morning, get her ready for church? I left some clothes out for you. I said, how hard is it to dress a baby? It can't be that difficult at all. So I dressed my baby like that. I brought her to church. I'm feeling proud of myself. And there's a group of moms in the lobby, and they're staring at my baby. And I'm like, I know why they're staring, because they think I did a good job, because she's super cute. And these group of moms, they come up to me and they go, Micah, did you dress your baby this morning? I said, I sure did. And she's adorable, isn't she? And they go, hey, Micah, we just just need to let you know that when you dress a baby, the first thing you do is put on the onesie and then you put on the pants, okay? (laughs) And if you're a man in the audience and you saw nothing wrong with that photo, well, neither did I, okay? Neither did I. Does the baby have clothes on it? Yeah. Is the baby warm? Yeah, it's fine. All right, I'm a man. In the morning, I put on my pants and then my shirt. It's not that hard. Supposedly, there's these methods to dress some babies nowadays. The world's gone mad, guys. It's gone mad. So this is a picture of my wife, Steph. We met at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis. It's an amazing school that's in the Minneapolis region. And we met there. I was a super senior. She was a freshman. Don't judge me. Um, but it worked out. We've been married 10 years now. And this is an updated picture of my family. These are my two kids. Uh, that's Everly now, the little baby girl. Everly's with me. She's down front. She's five. And Malachi's three. And I think I'm going to start bringing my daughter everywhere. Because just this morning, when uh, Pastor Mike Stevens was showing the video, and then he got to my name, and that picture popped up of me, she looks at me and goes, Dad, that's a cute picture of you. I like that, Dad. I'm like, I'm just going to bring you with me everywhere. You're so nice. Uh, but this is my little girl, and uh, we're excited to be here. Our last, last slide I'm going to show before I get into my message is I wrote my first ever book during covid uh, my wife and I, we started a traveling ministry four years ago and left a full-time salary, full-time job, uh, amazing church to go travel on the road full-time. And um, we just said, God, will go where you want us to go and we'll be who you want us to be. This last year, we saw over 7,000 teenagers give their life to Jesus just by traveling and preaching the gospel. Incredible what we've been able to see and what God's been doing. And uh, when COVID hit, it canceled six months worth of our ministry, just stopped. 
And I felt like God said, this is the time you're going to write the book that I've put in your heart all along. And here's the deal. I shouldn't have a microphone in my hand. Uh, I've seen a lot of crazy things. I've grown up in brokenness. I watched my own parents' marriage end in divorce after 17 years of marriage. I watched my eight-year-old sister get diagnosed with stage four cancer a month after my dad left our house. I became the man of the house at a young age. I have three younger sisters. I've seen a lot of death in my life. I've seen alcohol abuse, drug abuse. I've seen so many things try to rip out and break apart a family. But here's the deal. Out of all the death I've seen, there's one thing I've learned about Jesus. Is with Jesus, death is never the final outcome but with Jesus he always brings you from death to life he gives you a purpose and he gives you a hope and so I wrote this book for people out there who've been impacted by any of those kinds of things who've walked through this life who feel like giving up who've seen a lot of death just to know this that there's always life smack dab in the middle of death because Jesus isn't in a grave anymore He's been raised to life, and he's seated next to the Father. So I brought some copies. They're out there. If you'd love to get one, my daughter will be with me, and uh, you're welcome to do that after service. But today, I'm preaching a message titled, Hell Lost Another One. Hell Lost Another One. I want to start off with a story that helps me illustrate this whole point. There was a 16-year-old boy who, in the middle of the night, he was kidnapped screaming for mom and dad to wake up and come save him. By the time dad got up to go to his son's room, 16-year-old was drug off, taken away. 16-year-old was put in a sack, blindfolded, cover up, tied up, couldn't escape. And the 16-year-old wakes up to a boat rocking back and forth. He wakes up in the middle of the ocean. Now, I can't imagine being a 16-year-old kid. In the middle of the night, your life was going just fine. But now, all of a sudden, you're on a boat. There's people who've literally kidnapped, stolen your life. And this young man, when he has the sack opened up and he walks out onto dry land, he realizes he's in a country that's not his own. And he realizes he's now been forced into slavery. This is a true story. This 16-year-old boy forced into slavery now, sleeping with farm animals now, eating the same food that the farm animals eat. Now he's tending to these animals. He's being beaten. He's being whipped. His life just went from normal everyday life to now being completely flipped upside down and now forced into slavery. And it's crazy how when humanity goes through something crazy, that they all of a sudden begin to use their voice to cry out to God. This young man had never followed Jesus. This young man never opened a Bible. This young man didn't really know even anything about God. But this young man in the middle of the night sleeping among farm animals, he begins to use his voice saying, God, if you're real, would you save me? God, if you're real, would you show up? God, I'm alone. God, I'm lost. God, I'm broken. I need you. Well, one of these nights was different. He heard an audible voice back. It was the voice of God who responded to his son's cry. And God said, I'm right here. You're not alone. I'm with you. And this young man began to have conversations with Jesus. And this young man, the same voice that heard and cry out to God the same voice that spoke back to this young man woke him up in the middle of the night one night and said young man I'm going to lead you out of slavery just follow my voice this young man was led through the middle of the night hundreds of miles away from the slavery that he was in led him to a boat and this boat happened to bring him back to his very country his very homeland he ends up walking in the door. Mom and dad are freaking out, thought their son was killed, 16 years of age, gone, dead. This young man comes walking in the boat. Where were you? What happened to you? Mom, I was forced into slavery. Mom, I was kidnapped. Mom, I was forced into slavery. I don't know how this happened, but there's one thing I do know. I think God may have saved my life. 
This young man just comes across a Bible and begins studying the scriptures. He begins to realize that the same scriptures that he's reading are the same God that led him out of slavery. And he says, God, I'll give you my life. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he, he spends his whole life studying the word and, and learning more about Jesus. And then the same voice that leads him out of slavery is the same voice that says, young man, I want you to get back on a boat. I want you to go back to the very country you were enslaved in. And this time I want you to bring the gospel message to this country that doesn't know me, that doesn't know Jesus. All so that hell might lose another one. This young man gets on a boat, but this time full of Jesus. Understanding the word, and when he gets off the boat into this country that enslaved him, he begins preaching the gospel. Whoever would listen to him, whoever would hear, begins preaching how Jesus saved his life how Jesus transformed and how he can save them. This young man begins to see hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people give their life to Jesus. This young man sees all these people coming to Christ. He thinks to himself, I can't do this ministry on my own. We need more pastors. We need more leaders. He begins praying and raising up more leaders. More churches are being planted. Hundreds of pastors are raised up under this man's ministry, all because of one Simple yes of following Jesus so that hell might lose another one. And this young man, it's a real story. His name, St. Patrick. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. It's not about the green clothes or the beer. It's about an ordinary person who was moved and gripped by Jesus, who all was compelled by compassion, by the gospel message to go see hell lose one more. When you look at Jesus... And when you watch his life and why he came, he tells us right away in Mark chapter 1 why he came. Everybody wanted Jesus to stay near. No one wanted Jesus to leave. Everyone wanted Jesus to stay there. And in Mark 1 chapter 38, it says Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages. So I can preach there also. That is why I've come right there. He gives us our why. He says, I haven't come to stay in one spot. I've come to go preach to other villages, nearby places, other towns, other communities, other people groups. The gospel message is here, and it can't stay in one spot. The reason why I've come is to be on the move. If you've wondered anything about God, it's this. God and the God that we serve is a God that is on the move. He's on the move. He's on the move in Cloquet. He's on the move in the nations. He's on the move in the world. His gospel message that he came to preach was never meant to stay inside of buildings. It was meant to go out and impact every other people in the world today. And then in Mark chapter 2, the very next chapter, you see a paralyzed man get brought in, lowered through a roof by four friends. They lower the paralyzed man on a mat in front of Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is he forgives the man's sins. He doesn't heal him. I'm sorry, y'all, but if I brought my friend to Jesus and I see that he forgave him and didn't heal him, I'm like, Jesus, what's the point? I brought him so you could heal him, not forgive him. Jesus was trying to relay a message that day. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to forgive sinners. He came to be a savior to those who were broken. Jesus came to model, I came to seek and save the lost. And then just a moment after, you see who Jesus came to forgive. But in the very next story, he's walking out by the Sea of Galilee and there's a big crowd of people following him. And as he's walking along, he notices a notorious sinner, a tax collector who's sitting there. He goes up to him and says, come and follow me. For a Jewish rabbi to look at a sinner and say, follow me, was a big stain on the resume of a rabbi. A Jewish rabbi would never do that, but he looks at him and says, follow me. 
And that night, a revival breaks out in Levi's home. That night, a revival. All these sinners are at the dinner table. Who's sitting amongst all these sinners but Jesus is? And then these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they come up and they accuse Jesus of eating with sinners. And this is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse 17. It says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. This is the word for you and I today on who Jesus came for. He came for the sick. He came to seek and save the lost. He came so that hell might lose another one. But who are the sick? We see it all over our world today. You can put up the next picture. But there's kids all over the world who don't have moms and they don't have dads. They've been abandoned in orphanages. Parents will have babies, they can't take care of them, and so babies will sit in an orphanage with no one to care after them. My sister, who was in Haiti, described a moment when she walked down an orphanage, there were hundreds of babies in cribs, and as my sister would walk down the aisle, she heard babies begin to scream and throw up their arms, just waiting for one person to pick up a baby and hold them. I came to remind us in Cloquet that Jesus came for the orphan. He came for those who were fatherless. He came for the sick. You can put up the next picture. There are kids every day who walk hours to go get one cup of rice, to go walk back home hours, to walk into a dirt floor where eight other family members are sitting there and they're waiting for their food. And these kids are hungry. Well, let me remind you who Jesus came for. Remember when he saw a bunch of hungry people? And it says when he saw them, he had compassion on them. He was moved by those who needed a savior. What about the thirsty? You can put up the next picture. Kirby wasn't joking when he said people will walk 13 miles one way just to get water. Do you know who are responsible to get water in their families? The women. Do you realize that when women walk 13 miles one way, a lot of them don't make it back unscathed? Because there are abusers, manipulators, and horrible people waiting for these women on their journey to take advantage of them. And oh, by the way, when they get their water, the same water hole that they're getting their water from is the same water holes that animals drink out of. Therefore, one out of five kids in sub-Saharan Africa die every day due to lack of clean drinking water. And they have parasites and diseases. These aren't just statistics. These are people Kirby and I have done life with. These are people that we've met. These are people we've seen with their own eyes. And where, where you live in the world should never determine whether or not you live. Where you live in the world today should never determine that. For some of us, the first thing we did when we woke up is we took a glass and we held it under our sink and we started our day off with a cup of water. But the difference is, is when we drank the water this morning, we never wondered if we were gonna live the next day. We never wondered if today was the last day. We never wondered if we were gonna go to the medical center nearby to get treated for bad disease just from the water that we drink. Yet you and I complain about what we don't have. And the very fact that we have a bed and a pillow to put our head on makes us wealthy. What about the next picture? I know you and I, we didn't wake up to homes and rubbles, but there are people every day with natural disasters that once had homes like you and I, but now it's wiped out. Or they live in terrorist countries with evil dictators and evil rulers and people who care nothing about the sanctity of life. And their homes are in tatters because of terrorism. Now there are thousands of refugees piling at borders due to the evil that's in their world. 
And who did Jesus come for? Time and time again in scripture, he talks about a love for the foreigner, a love for the refugee, to take him in as his own. What about the next picture? This is right here in our own country. This, this is even around the world. Those are two kids who've been found that were trafficked. There's a young girl at the bottom. She's three years old. Her dad gave her away for drug money. And this three-year-old, we're still trying to find her. She's now five years old. It's been two years since she's gone missing. Who did Jesus come for? He came for the kids. He came for these people. He came to seek and save the lost. He came for the healthy, not for the healthy, but for the sick. And know what I'm convinced? is the same solution Jesus gave the disciples 2,000 years ago, is the same solution he gives our church this morning here in Cloquet. You notice the disciples brought up a problem to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, we've been here all day. It's hot here. There's 15,000 people. Send them away. They're hungry. They ain't got no food. And Jesus says, all right, you give them something to eat. You see a problem? You feed them. And if you're like me, you'd look back at Jesus and be like, good one. Because we don't got no food and we don't have any money. Good one, Jesus. And then he says, why don't you go see what they have? Go find what they have. You know what I find interesting? Jesus never asked us to give what we didn't have. He just asked us to give what we did have. Because what we did have is enough to feed the nations. What we did have is enough to see people rescued, to see people healed. Give what you have. And I can imagine the disciples that day, hey, is there anyone here that has any food? Jesus is looking for it. Uh, we're trying to feed you. Jesus wants to feed you, but is there anybody who has anything? And out of 15,000 people, I'm sure there was more than just one little boy who had food. But how many of us respond that when we hear a need, no, actually, I'll just keep it for myself. No, I got my own family. I got to feed my own family. I'll just keep it for myself. God cannot bless what you keep but he can bless what you do decide to give away. And know what I find really interesting? God used a young person to feed 15,000 people that day. It's so, so in line with his character that God loves to use the unlikely things of the world. God loves to use the foolish things of the world to accomplish his purpose on the earth. And know what I love is God still uses young people today. In 1944, you know what was happening? World War II, towards the end. But isn't it just like God to birth something in the middle of a war to impact the nations? In 1944, there was a young man who had a dream. And the dream was that God would use the teenagers of America to help bring the gospel message to the uttermost parts of the world. His dream was to see the teenagers of America give $100,000 in the middle of a war to see the gospel spread around the world. Everyone thought he was crazy. If you were around in 1944, you know that money was being used to fund the war. There was a shortage of money. All the extra money was going out to buy planes, ammunition, different things to fund our soldiers to help end the war. In 1944, wouldn't you know it, the Teenagers of America gave $112,000 the very first year for something called Speed the Light, and the first plane they purchased was an amphibious plane to fly overseas into Liberia to bring the gospel message around the world. Know what's crazy? Is where planes were seen as a means to destroy, God used the Teenagers of America to buy a plane to bring the greatest message that you could ever preach the gospel to see hell lose another one. And ever since that day in 1944, the Teenagers of America have given over $350 million to missions to see the nations changed and to see people rescued. 
That is powerful. It's who Jesus is. He's on the move. And these teenagers, they're just like this little boy who say, God, I'll give you what I have. Take a look at this video of this girl who gave God what she had, not her excuses. And look at how God used this girl to change the world. Play this video, please. My heart just went crazy and I tried not to fall out of my tree. And in that one moment, I knew that I had to make it count and you just have to let it go. At camp last year in 2014, I kept getting a number when I prayed about Speed the Light, my goal and just other things I was praying about and I kept getting the number 734. And I began to raise money. Um, I hauled wood for my grandparents and I did chores for my mom and dad. It got towards the end. It was near the date where we were supposed to turn in the money and I, um, I needed exactly $230 to reach my goal. And my dad had made a deal with me that he would pay me a dollar per pound of deer that I killed. So, um, and I hunted in Ontario at our cabin for over three weeks. I was there. I prayed and prayed and prayed while I was sitting on the stand. And um, finally, I saw this huge monster buck coming through the woods. and. I pulled off a crazy shot. It was, should have been completely impossible. I could have never done it by myself. So I know it was God who helped me do that. And um, I was so excited, I cried. <laughs> we found him and we went back and we weighed him and he was exactly 230 pounds. You can't just sit there wait for something to happen. You have to meet God halfway. I can hunt. What can you do? I love how she said you can't just sit there. It reemphasizes what Mark 1 was all about when Jesus said, I can't stay here. I can't sit here. I can't stay here. We got to be on the move. That is one of thousands of stories of teenagers that I get to meet every single day that are making a difference around the world, all so that hell might lose another one. I think of another girl out of Cold Spring, Minnesota. She's at our summer camp at Lake Geneva in Alexandria, Minnesota, and God speaks to her and meets her there and says, you're going to be a missionary in Africa. And the next summer she's at summer camp, she feels like God challenges her. Oh, by the way, you're not just going to be a missionary to Africa, but first I'm going to ask you to give. I'm going to ask you to give $15,000 by the time you graduate middle school. You do the math. A seventh grader here, she's supposed to give 15,000 by the time she graduates middle school. That means end of eighth grade. If she was my daughter and she came home from camp and I say, honey, how was camp? And she goes, well, I'm gonna give $15,000. I'm gonna be like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Because we can do a lot with that and there's no way that's gonna happen. And this young girl, just like a little boy 2,000 years ago. You say, God, you can have my heart. You can have my life. Take a look at what this young girl at a Cold Spring, Minnesota named Cameron did. Take a look at this video of Cameron. My name is Cameron Bauer and I'm in seventh grade.
I am raising calves for Speed the Light, and every day I'm up at 6 a.m. Get my boots on and I walk out to the barn. I go up by the calves and pull out all the buckets. And then I have to fill the buckets, put the formula in and mix it. Then I bring those out to the calves. And while they're drinking that, I, fill, I have to refill all their water buckets. Grab all their milk pails and bring them into the sink and give them all them their water feed buckets back. And then I wash the milk buckets and then I'm done. I just sacrifice a lot of things like sleepovers, being able to sleep in, which I missed a lot. It's definitely worth the sacrifice for me because I know that I'm doing this to make money and that money that I make is gonna be going to help reach other people. I can raise calves for Speed the Light. What can you do? So to help finish the story, uh, the money was due at the end of the year. She's graduating middle school. She's $1,000 short. Someone finds out she's $1,000 short. They write a check for 1000 When her mom got the news and sent her the text message, she took a picture of her daughter and she's crying at the dinner table. She saw $15,000 come in as an eighth grader. And uh, I love stuff like that because it's kids who just hear a need and they hear God's voice and they step up and they obey. And uh, I know what's crazy is that young girl, um, the whole reason why she was even able to hear God's voice is because her dad, her own dad was led to Jesus by Kirby. And uh, Kirby happened to be friends with him, invited him to church. And that dad gave his life to Christ. And now his daughter is getting to follow Jesus too. And this is exactly why in Cloquet, Minnesota, we don't just stay in a church building. But it's why we catch God's heart to see a world saved, to see Cloquet saved, to see different people come to know Jesus. Where does all this money go? You heard Kirby say earlier where it all goes, but here's the stories you don't always get to hear. In Panama, the country of Panama, uh, we were doing school assemblies there, and you can preach the gospel there. And uh, all these kids are raising their hand to give their life to Jesus. And uh, the missionary, I'm sitting right next to the missionary, he says, Mike, you see all these hands raised? I said, yeah. He said, you realize if the church in Cloquet never gave, the kids in Minnesota never gave, you realize we wouldn't have these projector screens to do the school assembly. I said, no, that's crazy. All these hands gave their life to Christ. He said, Mike, you see all these hands who gave their life to Christ? I said, yeah, it's crazy. He said, you realize if the kids in Minnesota never gave, we never would have had the vehicles to drive three hours to get to the school assembly program to put it on. I said, that's crazy. He said, Micah, you realize all these kids who came to Christ today, they never would have came to Christ had the kids in Minnesota never paid for a sound system. But when you have a sound system, you can clearly hear the presentation. And then it got personal. There was a 15-year-old girl sitting in the middle aisle. She couldn't stop crying. And after the school assembly had ended and all the kids left, there was one girl who stayed back. And our team went up to her and said, why are you crying? What's going on? 
She said, I'm 15 years old, and today I had a plan to end my life. Today I was going to end it. But today I heard about someone named Jesus who has a plan for my life. And today I gave my life to Jesus. Crazy to think that a girl was going to die. And then a girl's life was saved. And I asked her, I said, why in the world would you ever think about suicide? Why? And she says, I'm 15 years old and I'm pregnant. And the person who got me pregnant is my own dad. And I don't want to have to raise a baby telling one day that my kid is actually because of my dad. That day, hell lost another two. That day, a young mom and a baby was saved. She got connected to the pastors and the missionaries. When your pastor shares a video on the screen and says $179,000 was given, that is not just a number. That is somebody's life. And I wish I could spend the next hour giving you hundreds of stories that I get to see, witness, experience, even hear from missionaries who get to see others saved. So when we give to missions this year, and your pastor says, I believe we can do 200,000, that means all of us get to play a part in seeing the world changed. It's possible you came in this morning and you're experiencing a hell of your own. It's hard for you to hear about everybody else's needs when you're watching a marriage crumble before your very eyes. You're watching an addiction ruin your own life. You're watching a job that just went to the wayside that's now done. It's possible you came this morning and you're walking through your own kind of version of hell. Well, I came to remind you that Christ came to set you free. Christ came to be the Lord of your life. He didn't just come for the nations. He has an ability to come even just for the one. And it's possible you heard a message this morning about the nations and different people groups, but it's possible you are walking alone, not even having God be the Lord of your life. Well, today I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to the greatest Savior who ever came, who even in a crowded room like this, he could still stop and notice you. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here this morning saying, hey, I'm walking through my own hell and I need Jesus to save me. I need to be saved. I'm not following him. I'm not right with him. I don't have a good relationship with him. Today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I just want you to put up your hand wherever you are. No one looking around, just saying, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to have a right relationship with him. So cool. Anybody else? So awesome. So cool. Just counted two hands and said, hey, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. The first step to being rescued is being heard. In the hand you just raised, God sees it. He sees your heart. He came to save you. Came to be God with you and God in you. Jesus, I'm so thankful for these two people. Today, how lost another two. These two people who just say, God, I want to be right with you. God, I want to follow you. God, I need you to save me. God, it never grows tiring seeing people put their faith and trust in you. God, thank you for what's happening in Cloquet. Lord, may there be more people in this town who know about you. May this be a church who's on the move just like their Heavenly Father. May they be in partnership with you. God, I pray a blessing over the church's marriages here. I pray a blessing over the families that have yet to step foot in this church. God, we love you and thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.